Hey guys, welcome back. BDCKR here. We're back with our weekly Q&A video. This is season nine, episode 20. It's going to be a bit of a short one this week. So we've had, we've so had this an is the episode that almost didn't happen. Yeah. Uh, I have commitments for the next couple weeks on Tuesdays now from uh, 8 to 10 p.m. Not that you needed to know the exact time, uh, but basically that was our filming time, right? Yes. yes. Um, and so we started to record on Mondays. But we had power. When I say out. started to record. We did it once on Monday. <laughs> we did it once on Monday. Um, but we had a power outage. So if you if you know the area, actually, there was a huge storm. It was out of the blue. Mm-hmm. It was maybe like an hour or two warning. Yeah, and then it only lasted for like five ten minutes of the the sort of eye of the storm. But that was enough time to really yeah. cause some huge damage. Well, the eye is actually the safest part. Well, not the eye, yeah. The, 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 but to be in the midst of it, for it to pass right. us, it was only right. about 10 But it took a bunch minutes. of power lines. So the funny thing was on the street, there was, well, not funny, but just odd and surprising and weird is that one of the, there was a tree on our street that had split among many other trees that had branches broken off. But yeah. this one tree had split. This one side that had split fell over and split an electrical pole. Yeah. And that half of that pole, which was containing the wire was only kept from falling all the way down by another tree yeah. that it had landed in. Yeah, so there was a huge amount of devastation. There was a, a multiple uh, roads that you couldn't get through right. because there were trees right. down across their entire length. Right. Uh, and we were without power for a couple of days, so we were we were roughing it, uh, stuffing ice into yeah. our fridge and freezer, you yeah. know. So that was Saturday afternoon we lost power. We just got it back Monday evening. Yeah. So we've been busy with other stuff. I mean, it's amazing how much stuff happens, like trying to save groceries, trying to, you know, just trying to live a little bit without power. It's funny how busy you get. And then as soon as you're done, how not busy you are. Right. When the lights are off. Yeah. Like when, when you, when the natural light is gone and you don't have any power to turn on lights. I mean, I have a ton of flashlights. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. But it was but so there's much not a lot to do with them either. Because what are you right. going to do? You're going to be on your phone? Read, read a book. Yeah, you read a book. And uh, the other thing about it is that when all you've got is flashlights, reading is not that convenient when it's dark. No, no. I've got actually got some kits to adjust them so that they're not, you know, like, so they, they are right angled. Yeah. So you clip it to your shirt. Yeah. And they could light in front of you. And a diffuser so it makes it less of a, like, there's terms. when That it, point. Yeah. So it diffuses it, but it's less throwy. So throwy is how good distance it gets yeah. and the um there's a oh god it makes it more um ah oh, there's a flash word no 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 just where it's diffused so instead of focused it's more like uh the kind for close works and that's actually perfect use for reading there's a word for it i can't remember i Anyways, have such a bad flashlight yeah fanatic. but uh so that's that's the situation so, so we, we came we pretty had, close. Like yeah. what you're, the footage you're going to watch is going to be old footage because I don't know if it, it's obvious, but when there's no um, power, I think I'm going to save my phone's juice for phone calls and other kinds of emergencies. Yeah, sort of organizing our, getting our house in order yeah. as opposed to playing video games, as fun yeah. as video games are. Yeah. yeah. So it'll be slightly shorter this week just because of our other sort of... Your obligations. Your My scheduling. obligations, yeah. yeah but yeah. we're still here. So our first question of the week comes from Fabrobin. Fabrobin, we're not 100% sure. They say, 
What are the gears on Static, Hawk, Girl, and Raven? I see Tantu and Master's Death Guard on Static, but I'm unsure about the others. And then a PS. APA citation does stand for American Psychological Association. However, the other prominent APA in psychology refers to the American Psychiatric Association, who wrote the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual to diagnose mental disorders. So why don't you talk quickly about the gear and then we can talk about the APA. I, APA. I actually wanted to talk about the APA. But oh, you okay, want to do so, that one first? No, no, no. Let's make it as injustice as possible. Yeah, gear like, quick really focus. All right. So I wasn't going to get into this originally in our Q&A videos, but it feels like it'll probably be a while before I can get around to doing, or we get to doing a video that focuses on that team. So maybe I'll do a quick talk on it. Uh, static, Tentu Totem, def definitely. Master's Death Card, definitely, right? That's the obvious stuff. He's, he's dropping two bars of power when he tags in. Ibistick is the next one because um, you need that little extra kick to make sure that you get your full second bar of power. So you need power gen gear that generates ideally something like uh, 20, 30, 40% power mm -hmm. gen because yeah. somewhere around there, like any one of those four and a half star gears are going to be perfect for that. Yeah. And what's e what's cool is because of the way this team is set up, there's no weakness to Ibistick. Normally Ibistick, you worry about damage over time against a Blackest Night Flash team mm -hmm. because you get the increased power gen, but you hit them with damage over time with, when you use your special. And that means the Blackest Night Flash team, they're all generating power super fast. They're healing super fast, which, you know, it's not, we don't, have a response to that except to just hit him harder but yeah. when you're working with raven rebirth raven hit him with damage over time mm -hmm. let him generate power really fast and then steal it from them yeah easy so raven um she's got necrons scythe she's got cloak of destiny it stacks so the boosted stun damage if we're taking static and we can we have two options we can drop a special two that does a huge amount of damage multiple hits yeah or we can do a special one with as long as it's unblocked it's guaranteed stun and then Raven comes in, twice boosted stun damage, Lextra Gauntlets to increase the chance of stun on Tagging if they're not already stunned. Yep. And it boosts special one crit chance. So her special one will do more than 150,000 damage, even if you don't max out the, um, the swipe. Yeah. It, what that means is that's more than enough. Because listen, you've stunned with static. 150k is going to be almost guaranteed more than enough to knock the other player out. So what it means is you're bypassing any subsequent, so more than anything past the first invulnerability of Astro Harness, mm -hmm. you are bypassing Raven's health swap. Yep. You're bypassing um, New 52 Shazam's low health tag out. Yeah. And if it happens, they have a revive, her second hit is going to do more than 150,000 K of damage and it can take out somebody who revives. Mm -hmm. This is... Like the platonic ideal in some ways of the team, it's just that it takes a little bit longer to do the specials, which is why this team is not as fast as the Flashpoint team. Yeah, so there we go. Oh, um, so there's, you want to make sure though, on Raven, you don't want to give her any power gen gear. Um, but on a team with static, the interesting thing is it's not as important. So let's say you have a bar of power, you have more power than the person who you're tagging in against. Yeah. It's still okay because as long as you've got one bar, if they're stunned, yeah. special one. They're gone, yeah. They're out, and then you just tag her back out. Uh, Hawkgirl is really there for her passive, so we geared her as a tank. We don't really care about what she can do. We just want her to survive long enough, because when a team like this that relies so much on Raven tagging in and out, we want to be able to do it fast. 
we want to be able to keep on doing it so that we can take advantage of her passive mm-hmm. and of the gears on static. So she's just a tank. So she's got Batman Ninja Helmet, Killer Croc Companion, and King Gold Soda. Mm-hmm. So there we go. Super team. And so now we can talk about the American Psychological <laughs> Association and the American Psychiatric Association. Yeah. So it's neat to me that something that's the American Psychological Association yeah. has such a, a an outsized influence on style. Yeah, for and scientific writing. For, it's not even necessarily scientific writing because I think besides like, you know, the Chicago style of manual and stuff, some yeah. people still use that. Like it could may not be just scientific, it's journalism, right? Mm. It's like some um, newspapers, yeah. some media outlets will follow their style, won't they? Yeah. APA citation, I don't think it's as many like journalist things. Okay. I think uh, most other things use like Chicago or something like that. Right. Or uh, MLA, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, yeah, no, but for science writing, I think the American Psych- Psychological Association, it is, it's really interesting how these groups have these really huge sort of impacts on the way we write. And it's interesting the way that we decide to standardize, right? Because you right. sort of have to pick something. Uh, and at some point, you just have to make up a lot of rules. And one of the things about some of the APA, I mean, uh, as we talked before, I'm sort of familiar writing an APA. Not all of it is the nicest looking. So um, one issue I have is uh, the headings and subheadings. Mm-hmm. So, like, the first heading will be, like, um, center-aligned, uh, bold, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the second, like, heading will be left-aligned, bold. And the third heading will be left-aligned, uh, bold, and italicized for, like, the, the sub-layers. So, how it works is... So, is it lower, smaller font? Like, it just no, seems like it's... No, it's not. So, that's... Oh, that's odd. Yeah, I mean, it, I've never paid attention. Feels, it feels a little it weird. It feels like it should be, as you come to smaller areas, like the, the, the title should be smaller in some way. Yeah, it feels like, like the title prominent. should get bigger and then smaller, but they mostly actually don't want you changing the font size at all. Huh. Uh, and so that's that's really weird, and it doesn't feel right to me. Because, you know, and if you use a word processor, you're automatic sort of level one, level two, level three right. Uh, headings, right? Right. Uh, don't work like that. They do tend to get bigger and go smaller. So it feels a little unnatural. But um, what I like about it is there's a lot of sort of formatting stuff that you maybe have to make one choice or another with. And what I like about APA is that if you have to do APA formatting, it takes that decision largely out of your hands. You have to learn it. But anytime you have a question about like, oh, do I do X or Y? It will tell you. Uh, and right. so it, it doesn't become like a stylistic preference thing. And I think if you're like, I, I know everybody has their own preferences or stuff. So one thing yeah. I know about myself in my writing is I like using commas a lot mm. and I like using brackets a lot. Right. Um, Parenthetical statements. Yeah. Cause I, it's a good way for me to stuff sort of a bunch of stuff in a sentence uh, mm. while preserving its flow. You could do footnotes for that too. That would work. You can, but APA doesn't have footnotes. Oh. APA doesn't, uh, that's, um, Chicago, MLA, other things have footnotes, but APA doesn't really have footnotes at all. Right. Uh, I think technically you, you might be able to, but it's not standard practice. Right. Uh, I, I say technically because I'm sure if you looked up like how to do a footnote for APA, right. there'd be something there. But, uh, if you notice you read any like science, uh, journal articles, especially psychology articles, you right. won't see footnotes. Right. Um, and, I think footnotes can be kind of appealing when you have at the bottom of the page the citations right there. Right. Instead of just the references at the end. But for APA, you always do uh, citation style without footnotes, which is to just do brackets and then last name year, right? Right, right. right. Um, and so I, I use commas and brackets a lot. 
Uh, and, you know, I have friends who, who don't at all, right? Who, like, right. they're sort of shorter sentences and do more. They say what they and mean so, to get to the point. So when you're editing for somebody else, I think it'd be very easy for your stylistic choices yeah. to sort of bleed into recommendations for how other people should write. And so right. what I like about APA is that um, you can be editing somebody's thing and go, is this right? I think you're supposed to do it like that. And they go, I don't know. I think you're supposed to do it like this. And then there's just, there's just an objectively correct answer for what would otherwise be a very subjective concern. Right. 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 So I like that a little bit. A final arbiter to make the ultimate decisions each time. Yeah. I mean, for stuff like that, because a lot of times it's very low see, stakes. You don't care right. a lot. You just want it, the decision taken out of your hands a little but bit. But see, this is, again, this this is actually the point I want to make about the American Psychiatric Association. Yeah. Where, you know, the opposite of actually having a final say. Like before, you know, we were talking about when English, you could spell anything the way you wanted before yeah. there was the first dictionary. It was. People just accepted that, that things were spelled differently. There's no one right way. Yeah. Can you imagine spelling bees? I mean, oh if, if you're going to even try it. anyway, so, yeah. but so the American Psychiatric Association, if anything is, b when you see the different revisions that, so they have the diagnostic, um, statistics manual, yeah, so the DSM, DSM, yeah, and it's gone through a bunch of iterations. We're so into five right now. We're into five. And what's funny is that it is really just arbitrary and nothing brings home the point more that, than that they used to be one of the th things that are often cited yeah. as the problematic issues of DSM yeah. and why you've got to at least be willing to interpret things a little bit more and not just use it as the absolute yeah. final prescriptive mm -hmm. uh, judge yeah. is how they used to treat homosexuality. Mm. And they used to treat that as a, uh, a disease. Yeah. And they were wrong. Mm -hmm. And, and it's a relatively old example that people keep on citing, but there's a couple of, like, I'm looking at DSM-5 now, yeah. and there's some really interesting things that they've, they've, controversial things that they've decided yeah. to do that, so, depression, you know depression, yeah. right? I know depression. So, for people who don't know, I have taken a decent number of psychology courses okay. in university, so we we're talking here both being relatively informed. I have read like entire entries on the right. DSM-5. I've done projects that have involved right. me like researching using the DSM-5 as a primary source and stuff. So, you know, for most of those diagnoses, yeah. they talk about both the symptoms, but also exclusionary yeah. uh, features, right? So whether mm -hmm. it's, it hasn't been long enough or whether there's other things that explain it. So one of the interesting things to me always was yeah. that, you know, depression, they separated from bereavement. So there's an exception yeah. for bereavement. Yeah. And depression, I think, I think it had to be a uh, continuous two weeks yeah. of most days with a certain list of symptoms. I'm not going to bother getting into that. I think it's months now in the most recent version. Well, no, this is our, right, so this is kicker. Bereavement used to be that until it had been at least two months after somebody yeah. uh, had suffered a loss, yeah. you couldn't diagnose depression. Mm -hmm. And because I guess the assumption is just that that's normal sadness. It can be normal sadness. Yeah. yeah. And that in two weeks, um, the, it, within the first, sorry, the two weeks that it takes to make the symptoms aren't enough if you're still in the midst of bereavement. Yeah. And they eliminated that exception now. Mm -hmm. And it's problematic both ways because like you said, you know, so it, something that has been going on for a couple weeks that is more severe than you would expect for somebody who's, um, grieving. Yeah could still be pathological, could still yeah. be depression. And you don't want to use that prescriptively say, well, 
this person is not going to get mm-hmm. the right kind of counseling. They're not going to get medication because it's only been six weeks. Yeah. They've got another couple of weeks before it counts, mm-hmm. which is kind of arbitrary and kind of bad. But to do the opposite and yeah. say, well, you know, we can diagnose something mm-hmm. now. Yeah. And th- what it, what it limited, I guess the nuance it's missing is mm-hmm. that Grief isn't the same yeah. as depression. Yeah. Teasing the difference out can be difficult. Mm-hmm. And when they put arbitrary kind of limits, the same way they, they can arbitrarily decide that, well, this is pathological and this is not. Yeah. I think it it undermines a little bit. The more obvious mm-hmm. controversies there are, it undermines the mm-hmm. credibility a little bit. Whereas, you know, like years ago, they used to be mm-hmm. the real absolute kind of... Yeah. Um, standard by which people would would judge things yeah so yeah so it's interesting i've taken a lot of psychology classes uh i am sort of knee deep in this so first off there's a lot of people who don't use the dsm um including like psychiatrists like people who are diagnosing people you don't have to use the dsm and there are i think more people who use a blended method of uh different sources and different sort of knowledge bases Mm -hmm. uh than there are who use dsm purely when people are surveyed well, I think that's coming up, that's happening more, I think, because yeah. part of the credibility is being, um, yeah, there's a, it's not nearly the kind of authority that it used to be. Yeah. And so part of the issue too, is that you have to break down, why do we even care about diagnoses? And I'm not saying crass. I'm not saying like, why do we care about the people being diagnosed? Oh, I think, but, can I answer that? Um, can I try? Yeah. I think the reason why we care about it is because if you only judge each individual case, then mm-hmm. you're going to have a lot more trouble figuring out what you need to do. Exactly. When you can group people together and say, this grouping, this particular group that we've used filters to select out for will respond really mm-hmm. well to this kind of treatment or yeah. will, will end up going here if we don't treat them. So that, that's exactly right. It's what we need to do, but you can actually subdivide that further. So if you think about a diagnosis, right, in uh, especially in America, diagnoses are often prerequisites for getting subsidized treatment you Absolutely. can't same in same in canada yeah. yeah so uh there are countries though where if you are feeling off you can just go to therapy right right versus you need a diagnosis of something right. Right. to get that uh feedback and so that's one way that things are useful uh is to give people access to subsidized care to let people yeah. afford the treatment uh that they want to get uh, another way is to give a short form in between uh, clinicians to right. uh, help, right. right? So uh, while still individualizing somebody to be able to target what to do for them. And then the third thing is uh, aspects of personal identity. So somebody who knows what right. they have um, might find that they can look up, you know, whatever it is, sure. and then like coping strategies or, you know, right. how to X with Y, right? right? And then learn for themselves uh, and access community resources right. with other people who have sort of gone before them with similar experiences who uh, have advice for how to move through the world uh, in the best yeah. way for them. And so that's, you know, a lot of the reasons. And if you look at what uh, the motivation is for making certain diagnostic criteria different or making certain changes. So um, one specific example for something I had to research, uh, gambling uh, addiction, mm-hmm. right? Um, I, I took a class on the psychology of gambling and one of the interesting things is I read this uh, paper 
And what they were talking about was the way that uh, gambling addiction and disordered gambling behavior, the different ways that it's been referred to, you know, the difference between like problem gambling versus like addiction, uh, how uh, different terms have altered public perception of it, but then Mm -hmm. also how the diagnostic criteria has been changed. And so um, how the DSM works for people who don't know is uh, there's usually a checklist of criteria Mm -hmm. and they say you need to have experienced at least... X, so maybe it's at for least depression. Like, it's like five of nine. Yeah, five of nine was the number that I was going to go for. It it yeah. tends to be something like that, where it's usually like a slight majority uh, right. of these things. And so that's why, even if you all a, a group of you fall under the diagnosis, yeah. the flavor might be different because you might have a different five than the other person. So one of the yeah. examples is uh, schizophrenia. Schizophrenia yeah. is one of the broadest ones where there's been a lot of discussion about potentially splitting it or treating it in different ways right. because there are so many symptoms and the number that you need is low enough that you can have people with, I think it might be entirely no overlap. And there are like multiple sort yeah. of subtypes based off of the combination of symptomatology. Right. So they're very about different positive symptoms where it's something that you do that no- other yeah. people don't or negative symptoms where you don't do something that other mm. people do. Yeah. And so there's, there's a long list that you need a much shorter subset of. Yeah. And so that's um, part of the description, but for, for gambling addiction. So one of the things they were talking about is how they were changing the, um, the criteria and their justification they were tracking the history they said they changed this criteria and they tweaked it one of the things they did was they took away there used to be one of the criteria was um crime specifically Mm -hmm. and they found that although uh gambling addiction was often associated with criminal activity it was mainly like a symptom as opposed to an actual criteria for diagnosing it because people who don't have any money who, uh, because they spent it all gambling right. and who need more money because they're addicted to gambling and want to continue gambling are more likely to do crime in the same way that, you know, anybody who's in a position of poverty who needs access right. to money is right. more likely to do crime just because, you know, that's how, that's one of the ways that you can get access to resources fast. Right. Right. Um, and so they took it out, but then they tweaked other stuff. And the reason why they tweaked other stuff, uh, was to keep the rate of diagnosis the same. And so the simple fact is that a lot of what makes a DSM tick is related to um, American diagnostic procedures, and they don't want a bunch more people being diagnosed because then, uh, you know, insurance companies all of a sudden have to start paying more money to give people access to these services. And uh, so one of the fundamental strong uh, influences of how the DSM works is just simply based off of... uh, keeping the diagnosis numbers where they are because the system is sort of stable right now and And it has nothing to do with helping people it has nothing to do with you know the the ideal is that you want to get more accurate over time right right? instead of um when you change your criteria your perfect the perfect world is where every single person with an issue uh is diagnosed right and they have access to the treatment and you don't accidentally diagnose anybody who doesn't need to be and it's it's sort of that perfect line where where right. So a test a test. If you think of a diagnosis like a test, yeah, then it's perfectly specific and it's perfectly sensitive. So you don't miss mm-hmm. any cases, but you don't diagnose uh, yeah by mistake a case that's not related. Yeah, and so that's part of what the refinements of the DSM are for. But a big factor in uh, how it works is not based off of making it better. It's uh, keeping it relatively status quo and making sure well, approximately the same number of people are diagnosed. And they hope at the same time that you're drifting towards, yeah. you know, 
no longer diagnosing people who don't need to be. Well, and I'll, I'll make the argument people... though that there is one benefit to making the adjustments. It's not enough to justify because I, I I hear mm. you. There's lots of flaws to that. Yeah. But I think one of the benefits is that a lot of times when you look at incidents over time, yeah, the historical context gets lost. So yeah. if you do it so that you don't have to remember that this is when they change the criteria mm-hmm. to see it makes it spike, easier to crunch the numbers. It makes it easier to yeah, to really see what other influences there are that are having an yeah. impact on on the prevalence of something. Yeah, so that's one thing, but the other thing that you could do um which frequently is done when you like are updating the tools and stuff yeah. is that you can test the population that you tested before and see how that changes, right? So yeah. you you run back people who were, you know, threshold sub threshold and gen pop and you test them on both the old and the new and then you get a comparison point so you say this population x percent of people were diagnosed before now x percent of people are diagnosed this is you know out of the groups the people who were diagnosed before this many percent and that also lets you set up a direct comparison uh, a lot easier so yeah so that's that's one of the those things is that it it ends up being a complicated and inherently yeah. political document yeah. Oh, instead yeah, sure. of just a document yeah. that's primarily about so, helping people. Speaking about political, then the one point I want to make when you said earlier that there's going to be a lot of people who use it, I think it's more so psychologists than psychiatrists yeah. that are going to use a, a blend only because I think it's actually more critical to be able to justify as a standard of care following the mm-hmm. DSM yeah. than being allowed to deviate because of how litigious... American mm. healthcare is. So if That's you true. do something that deviates from the norm, yeah. you're going to have to really justify it in order to, one, hopefully avoid litigation, mm-hmm. but two, potentially win litigation if somebody decides, hey, you're not doing what the DSM says. Mm-hmm. You're not doing what the APA the non-writing APA does. Well, the says. DSM doesn't actually tell you what to do. No, but it means that you have to, in order to be able, it, it does indirectly because yeah. if you can make the diagnosis that this is something, yeah. then you can justify treating them. If mm. you, if they don't meet the criteria, then you ha- there's a bigger burden on you yeah. to justify saying, this is why I gave this person this drug that ended up having these side effects that hurt them in a way. Yeah. And that's why I think you don't need to take my money yeah. away from me because you're suing yeah. me. Yeah, so, and it's, it's very complicated. It's, it's a really sort of yeah. complicated system. Yeah. And uh, one of the other things is we're talking about sort of the shortfallings, uh, shortcomings of the DSM. You also don't want people just going out and making decisions based off of their, just their past experience and yeah. not informing it with data. That's something right. called uh, clinical judgment. And there's been a lot of research that has shown that clinical judgment isn't great. So you want to be able to have these people buffering their personal opinions with right. data and tests and everything else. But it's important right. to approach it with the uh, with skepticism and being appropriately critical and yeah. recognizing that neither thing on their own is going to really get the job done for you. Yeah. Uh, this is that was a long discussion of non injustice stuff and just talking about psychology. So I'm glad we got the injustice stuff first. But uh, <laughs> so we, we are it. we are here. We are out of time. I have places to be uh, and things workshops to attend, uh, trainings uh, to go to. So we'll have to cut it off here. But to end off, I'd like to give a shout out to Eliza, a Yiddish big band listener, Katen. Uh She listened to a Yiddish big band recently, uh, and they told some jokes that were apparently very funny. And so a this, big this shout out was brought to you by Yiddish men making Yiddish jokes. Mm. Uh, they're apparently quite good. Uh, we'd also like to give a huge thank you to all the lovely folks who support us on Patreon. That would be Bombo Ben, Consul Peasant, and Ed Woon at the top tier last word. Cinemac and Mohammed Abshadi at the Your Message Here tier. Sean Farrell, Daniel Simonson, Aaron Mall, Michael DeVries, 
Brandon C., Irvin Ruiz, Eddie Dew, and Hoshi127 supporting us on the credited level. And Chris Wolf, Scarlet Danny, Awesome Gamer 2 for 1, Pavlor S., Gavin Malott, and Isfra E. at the gratitude level. Thank you so much for your support, and thanks so much to all of you for watching. We'll see you next time. Komoda! Komoda.